I am a boundary pusher. Like I, um, I go against the grain in a lot of ways. Um, I say what's on my mind. I'm a very good communicator, uh, with people who disagree with me. Um, and I think that when I, when it feels scary, I know that I'm like aligning in my authentic self because I'm still learning that that's that authentic me is going to be accepted. Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes, and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hi, Feisties. Welcome to another episode of the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. This week at Feisty, we launched the Title IX series, the Nine Voices for Title IX. And it's the 50th anniversary of Title IX. And I think you've probably all heard about this before. So I won't turn on about it, but I was really super inspired by uh, the women who all the women who sort of were able to observe their environment and say, nothing is going to change if I don't stand up and make change. So I loved every single one of the interviews. I loved working with all our other podcast hosts here at Feisty as well. Seven of us, you know, we each did an interview. Um, so that was kind of unique as well. Uh, and I want to give a special shout out to Inside Tracker because they support not just this podcast, but all of our feisty podcasts and also Title IX. And they essentially, or sorry, nine voices for Title IX, this the podcast series. And when we reached out to them saying, hey, we have this new series, it's celebrating Title IX and women's sports, they came, they we heard back from them immediately that they were there to support us. So thank you to Inside Tracker for that and for supporting us here on the Women's Performance Podcast. And that Title IX series will show up right here on the Women's Performance feed. So you don't have to do anything. You don't have to move. <laughs> All you have to do is listen. But right here on this podcast today, I have Cindy Miller. She is a therapist, a speaker, and a mindset coach. Cindy is a former D1 athlete. I believe she was a vault. Yes, yeah, she was a volleyball player. But she also, as we talked, I realized she also twirled baton and danced and just loved to move her body. As a coach, Cindy began to notice that female athletes often struggled with similar things, things like body image, disordered eating, low self-esteem, which can lead to depression and anxiety, and she really wanted to help. So that is her passion and her life's work. And today, Cindy and I take a deep dive into some super interesting topics. We learn, I learned from her essentially how she is, how she taught herself to be authentic on social media. And how she feels responsible to sort of counteract the 
toxic culture in some forms of social media. We talk about her awakening or a fuck it moment uh, and also the boudoir photos that she started doing and why she finds them empowering. I get the impression that Cindy has always been a boundary pusher and I learned a lot from hearing about how she works with athletes and helps people to love themselves better and be authentically themselves. I'm sure you will love this conversation with Cindy as much as I did right after we hear from our sponsors. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedda's have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedda's.com and it will all be in the show notes. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein, like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. 
Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%. Hi, Cindy. Welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. Um, Okay. Where I want to start with is how would you describe who Cindy Miller is like right now? Because I know that's like a very broad question, but kind of Mm -hmm. right in this moment in time, how would you describe who you are? Yeah, I really like this question because I think so much of life is like cut and dry and such like Um, We're trying to fit everything into a box. And so to ask such a broad question feels um, kind of right on, right on brand, if you will. (laughs) Um, And so right now, Cindy Miller is um, a woman who within the past two years really kind of took this like transformation of faking confidence Um, and, um, pretending like I had all of my stuff together and, um, posting on social media for likes and, um, comments and affirmations like externally to over the past couple of years, really taking this, like, I don't give a fuck approach. Mm -hmm. Am I allowed to cuss on here? Oh yes. Okay. Okay. Good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, to giving that, like, I don't give a fuck approach in the way of, um, other people do not control my happiness or get to dictate like where I should be in life. Um, so Cindy Miller is also a single woman who is a homeowner who runs her own business and, um, it has two cats. I'm, I'm cat mom. Um, and I have stopped getting questions about like, when are you getting married or when mm. are you having kids? Because I just kind of shut them down. I never really acknowledged or appreciated those. And so I coached volleyball for a really long time. And we'll, I know we'll get into that later, but, um, coach Cindy was my Instagram handle. And we'll talk a little bit about social media too. So it, and you know, when I stopped coaching, I kind of let go of that title and I I changed my Instagram title. It's the Cindy project now, which is a spoof off the Mindy project. And, um, and recently I I realized and I'm coming back around to, I am coach Cindy. That is like who I am. I just like crave and desire to help as many people as possible, uh, in all of like the facets of my passions. Um, yeah, I think I'll stop okay. there. I love this. Okay, I have follow-up questions. Okay. 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 Did was there something that you said you had that transformation into authenticity with what you were putting out in the world? Like, did something trigger that transformation or that desire to change? Um, a lot of it had to do with COVID. Um, I moved from North Carolina to back to Indiana, which is my home state, um, and did the whole bought a house. And then COVID hit and I was super isolated and had no one to see, no one to connect, no distractions. 
Um, so I did a lot of introspection, a lot of journaling. Um, I was working um, at a job that just didn't satisfy me. And so I really jumped in headfirst at like, I need to make a change and I have mm-hmm. all this time to do it and space mm-hmm. to do it. Um, and so I feel like really the triggering event, if you will, was having all this alone and isolated time, which I love. And it was like forced for me. So it really, I didn't feel guilty for it. I didn't feel like I was ignoring other people. I just got all this me time. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, being authentically yourself, we use that language at Feisty too. Mm -hmm. Like I think it's something a lot of people aspire to, but I recognize for myself or, and I'm assuming other people feel this way too. Like sometimes it's hard to recognize when you're being authentic. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you have, how do you know, like when you're putting something out on social media or when you, how do you know, okay, this is truly my authentic self that you're shutting out those outside voices or, or that you're listening to outside voices only in ways that, that align. Like how, how do you make those decisions? Um, when I, I'm sweating and think, oh shit, before I post it. Oh. That's when I know I'm being authentic. Interesting. <laughs> because, right. uh, yeah, because I have been such a, and like I talk about, like I'm a recovering perfectionist or recovering people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And so the stuff that I used to put out, I knew people were going to agree with it. People were going to like it. People were going to align with it. Mm-hmm. And now I push the boundaries a little bit. And I am a boundary pusher. Like I, um, I go against the grain in a lot of ways. Um, I say what's on my mind. I'm a very good communicator uh, with people who disagree with me. Um, and I think that when I, when it feels scary, I know that I'm like aligning in my authentic self because I'm still learning that that's that authentic me is going to be accepted. Right. And so yeah, as you get that feedback loop going, so you're like, you know, you're about to put something out in the world, you're feeling scared about it. And then there must, you must get positive feedback though. Right. Because like, I think people respond really well to authentic, excuse me, authenticity and they recognize it. Right. So like, is there a moment where, you know, you start to know, okay, those things are both true. Like I'm sweating about it. I'm putting it out in the world. And then also, oh, I know people are going to respond well to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is getting easier because I also am finding that my followers, my friends, my loved ones, um, even if they disagree, even if they're like, I would never do that. Even um, they're like, that's Cindy, that's Cindy. And I have gotten a lot of one people will comment on the post. And two, I get more so direct messages of women like, holy shit, like, I wish I could do that. Or you have no idea how impactful it is when you speak on this, like, please keep doing it because I'm too afraid um, or things like that. And I think that that definitely is creating safety. And I think one of my most recent posts, I shared that like, every time I do it, it's getting easier. and because I am receiving positive feedback um, and the negative feedback, I think it's Brene Brown that was like, don't take advice from somebody who's up in the stands and like one of her latest books, can't remember the exact language, but um, I, I think that like, if they're not in my life, if they're not adding to my life, I don't really care what their feedback is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if it's negative, that's kind of how I look at it. Right. And have you found that in, in being more authentic, 
in that way that you're attracting the right things into your life? Like have things changed for you? Absolutely. I am a certified non woo woo person. (laughs) Uh, And I, within the last two years, that's been something that's very much shifted in my life with, um, aligning, like learning about my astrology chart, learning about my human design, learning about, you know, and I'm a therapist. So like different person, excuse me, personality, uh, types and, and, and such and learning about kind of the energies and what like feels good. I've really learned that I I'm not a chaser. I don't really work well with that. I don't, um, handle rejection very well. If it's something that I am like going after, if I put all of my like eggs in a basket, like I don't handle rejection very well because if I am putting it forth, I feel like it's going to go well. And so one of the things that I've learned over the past couple of years is like this idea of receiving. And if you're into like words of the year, 2022, my word is receive. Um, and I find my connection with you all to be part of that receiving that, um, you know, I just got a random message from Carrie one day and I was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. Yes, absolutely. Um, and that has started to happen more and more, um, as I think I've built up my confidence and authenticity and showing it. Mm-hmm. Cool. I love it. Okay. Our, my first question just turned into six, you know? okay. <laughs> but let's, let's go back to your journey because you were yeah. also an elite athlete, right? Mm-hmm. You were a division yes. one volleyball player in college. You were always interested in psychology. So um, yeah, let's talk about athletics and the, the role it's played in your life. Yeah, absolutely. So I, yes, played every sport I can recall, um, also danced. I twirled baton. Uh, my volleyball team just found that out recently. And they're like, what, um, twirled baton danced. I was a cheerleader. I did basketball, volleyball. Um, I ran track. I did softball for a few years. Um, I love being a part of a team. That was the biggest reason for me. Um, and really in high school started to kind of go back and forth on, am I going to play collegiately? Um, I wanted to be a doctor of psychology. Um, I took a psychology class my junior or senior year, and I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do, human behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and decided volleyball was what it was going to take me the farthest away from my hometown. I, (laughs) (laughs) I was really fixated on, um, getting out of the Midwest, trying something new. Um, so I took a scholarship at UNC Asheville, um, in the beautiful mountains of Western North Carolina. Love Asheville. Yes. They reeled me in by, I took a, uh, a official visit during leaf season, like the October, November when it's beautiful. And I was like, Oh yeah, they, they know what they're doing. Right. (laughs) I'm here. Um, so I played four years there and, um, I always tell the story of like my freshman year, I had never worked so hard. Sports had always come easy. I was like just an athlete, like the athletic part of things came naturally. I come from a family of athletes. Um, and my freshman year, we were in preseason two to three times doing something in the gym or the weight room or the pool. And two or three days in, I called my parents and I was like, if y'all would have came back through, cause they went like dropped me off and went on a little vacation. I said, if you guys would have came back through, 
I would have gotten the car and been like, take me home because it was just so hard for me. And I didn't know what I was capable of. Like I, I had never had to work hard. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really fascinating because, um, that was when I learned like how amazing teammates are. And that's another thing I could talk about forever of like how, uh, amazing it is to have like such a camaraderie when you go to a college campus, um, to have someone to walk to class with every day. And you've already know where all the stuff is on campus. And, um, so played four years at UNC Asheville, um, my senior year, the coach that was coaching me, my freshman through junior year took a job, um, elsewhere. And ironically, they hired the person who was the assistant coach before I was a, a player and they hired him as the head coach my senior year. So I was familiar with him. It was a really smooth transition. Um, and upon graduation, I was looking at graduate school for clinical counseling. My path had already been foraged. I was ready for it. Um, and I was going to graduate assistant under the coach that had left at the school that she was at. They had a master's program. Um, and about a month or two prior to me accepting that role, the assistant coach quit, um, wanted to start a family was like, I can't do this right now. Like needed a shift in, in her world. And so the athletic director heard out already met me, the coach knew who I was and said, do you want the job? Do you want the assistant coaching job? And I was like, Hmm, like it's more school or a job. And so I took the job. And figured I'd postpone uh, clinical counseling for the time being, and um, and then started college coaching. I was at Winthrop University for about eight months. That same coach took a job at East Carolina University, and I went with her. And then I was there for four full seasons, um, kind of five years because we got there in the spring. And I was uh, I recruited, and I did all of the kind of like player planning and and whatnot. And that was really where I saw, okay, it's time for me to go back and do what I was meant to do. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I was going to say there, you know, having your interest and your expertise in psychology must've been helpful as a coach. Right. And then what was it that you saw that made you go back? Um, so I, so I specialize in eating disorders in my therapy work. Um, I have transitioned into taking some athletes and, and, um, other areas of, of concern and struggle, but, um, eating disorders, I had a teammate, I had my, my players were experiencing like diagnosable eating disorders and there wasn't help for them. Um, there wasn't the, there was a, counselor on, on campus who could see them once a month, maybe, um, they could pay out of pocket for a specialist. They could, um, you know, deal with it and ask their teammates to help them. There just really wasn't something set up at that time. Um, we're moving in the right direction in college sports here, but, um, so I was recognizing they were coming into my office with relationship issues, with food and body image issues, with, you know, struggling with school and all of that. And I felt really, really like ill-equipped because I had nowhere to send them either. So I was coming home from a recruiting trip and walked into my boss's office and said, I think I need to quit. She was like, what? (laughs) I was like, yeah, I've been reading this book. Um, 
And the book was Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck. I, I like about growth mindset, fixed mindset. All right. And uh-huh. yeah. And I realized I was like this, I, I am very like, I'm just going to be a coach forever. Like I'm good at it. Like I, you know, um, and this shifted things that I just because I was or am doesn't mean I can't go and do that again, but I needed a shift in kind of life and, and plan. So, um, I quit coaching, um, and then ended up enrolling at the same university. Uh, so I got to stay with the team two more years and be kind of like the graduate assistant, Oh, nice! um, which was really cool because I got to see that development Um, I really started to utilize some of my skills that I was learning and talking with them. They had like office hours with Cindy, um, where they could come in and I could practice my skills and they could, you know, vent for a little bit without any fear of like repercussion or anything like that. Um, so that was this beautiful blend of, of how everything seemed to come together. Mm-hmm. I love it. And then most recently you've combined sort of all of your passions with this project, sport, food, and mental health. Mm-hmm. So what is that? Cause I know that you like, you know, you, you study traditional psychology, but you also have some other um, skills in other areas beyond that. Like how do you p- bring that together and how do you treat and, or tre- if that's even the right word, how do you help an individual athlete? Yeah. So sports, food, and mental health is um, a, it started out as a blog. I was like, I'm going to start a blog. I'm going to write. I like to write. Um, and it quickly became, I want a bigger platform. Um, because those three things, the sports is what brings every, like brings everybody to my page or like the, right. They see the sports. Um, and then food, um, eating disorders, uh, skyrocket, like four times the average human. If you're an athlete, you're up to four times as likely to have an eating disorder, um, because of body aesthetics, expectations, um, you know, the pressures, perfectionism, that sort of thing. And so utilizing kind of my normalcy, I'm going to put it in quotes because normalcy, however you define that I'm not a dietitian giving you like, these are the amount of this you should be eating, but just the idea of like, letting go of the pressures of food intake and, um, and dieting and all of that. And then mental health really encompassing, um, everything else that I feel is so important to the well-being of the athlete. We talk about physical health all of the time. And I think we're starting to have the conversation about mental health, but it still feels like just talk. Um, and, and coaches are saying, I'm, I'm caring about them. I'm asking them about their day. Um, but I have found that some coaches are using that against them. Um, so asking, Hey, how was your night? Oh, I stayed up till midnight studying. And then at practice, well, you wouldn't be so tired if you didn't stay up till midnight stud. That's not okay. That's not mm-hmm. taking care of the athlete and the student yeah. as, as, um, as a whole. So, mm-hmm. um, really those three things came together because that is a part of, you know, you started this conversation with who is Cindy Miller. Mm -hmm. Those three things are like my core passions um, are, you know, the three of those things. It's it's interesting. Like that intersection, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, right? Like that intersection between sport, food, and mental health, exactly as you put it is, I think it's so relatable. Like that as a, like, as a young girl, for example, like I had a minor eating disorder, right? Mm -hmm. I was an athlete. I loved being athletic. I related a lot to what you said about, um, like sport coming easily, 
right? And then like we hit puberty or whatever. And then there's these cultural messages that tell us we're supposed to look a certain way or like, you know, we look, our bodies change really quickly. We become awkward or I can't keep up with the boys quite as much as I used to be able to, that kind of stuff. Um, And then like, it's hard to, like, it's hard to sort of get out from under like a lifetime of the, like of the negative ways that that intersection like plays out in our individual lives. Right. So like, how do you, what strategies do you use like with athletes who come to you to help us like get to the place where we're just enjoying being in our bodies, loving our sport and feeling good about ourselves. Yeah. One of my favorite books that I recommend that I love, that's amazing is, um, more than a body by the kite sisters. Um, I will, they're, uh, Lindsay and I can't remember the other one's name. So I should have just said, we could find it more than a body, (laughs) more than a body. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Their tagline and what has really their the tagline of the book, um, the subtitle, if you will, is, um, your body is an instrument, not an ornament. And I think that athletes in particular, um, have this double-edged sword, particularly female athletes in, if I have really strong shoulders, that's great for swimming. And everybody's like, Oh my God, your shoulders are so great. And then you try to fit into a dress top and it feels a little awkward. And people are like, when you're dressed up and out hanging out with your friends, you're like, Oh my God, your arms are so big. And you're like, Oh, and are they not supposed to be? Um, so it's this double-edged sword body image. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Often the message you get from the sport that you're in with your peers is different from the one that you get in the the world at large. Yes. Yes. And so I, I think that, you know, when I'm working with an athlete, um, there is a lot of what I call unlearning. Um, and I use the word curious and investigator, like all of the time kids these days, people I work with nowadays don't know who inspector gadget is anymore, but I used to use that as an example of like, you know, get really curious, like from the standpoint of like, well, because chips are bad, for example, if that's the like belief that they've, they've come to know why, where does that come from? Who told Mm -hmm. you that? Where did you learn that? Why does it feel like you struggle to let that go? Like if you're hearing other people say chips aren't bad, like why doesn't, why doesn't that stick? Um, right. This is kind of the push right now with TikTok is there's these quick bursts of information and whether it's valid and true or misinformation and baloney, um, we pick up on it, right? So, you know, I've had people come in like TikTok told me to drink eight quarts of water and I'll be skinny or whatever it may be. Like, did you even question that at all? Like, where did that come from? Um, That's hilarious. Sorry. My, my daughter, she went through a phase where she was learning to be a witch on TikTok. She's 11 now. This goes back a couple of years. So just, (laughs) and she's mommy, I'm, I'm, I know how to be a witch. I'm a, I've watched over a hundred TikToks on it. (laughs) I'm like, give me a potion you know, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like if, and, and the more you watch it, the more it shows up, like the algorithm on there is amazing. My TikTok is full of other therapists, cats, and <laughs> I don't even remember. I can't think of another, another thing, but, um, yeah, I think that, you know, so from that perspective, it's a lot of curiosity mm-hmm. and, And then validating, of course, you want your body to look different. Like everyone in the world says, like, you should care about your body and really validating that 
that's a normal feeling and we can change, you know, what's the, what's the risk? Oh, that I'm going to gain weight. Uh, Okay. So what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Everybody won't like me anymore. How likely is that? Um, so I, I have, um, a lot of my, my current like players that I coach, I coach a club team. Um, they often joke that if I ask those kind of questions during practice, they're like, Oh, therapist Cindy just came out. Um, <laughs> because I can't table it for, I'm always like questioning it for everyone, my yeah. friends and, and people I interact with. I'm like, why do you think you said that so quickly? Everybody's like, oh, here's Cindy again. Yeah, I see that. But valid points you're making. Also. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I'm wondering about this curiosity piece that you just mentioned, like the Inspector Gadget thing. Um, do you mean like curiosity about our own thoughts? Like why why we're thinking that? Right. Interesting. So that takes a that takes the ability to be able to like separate yourself from what your thought actually is. Like, how do you help people get to that point from between like buying into your own bullshit, which is like believing the thought immediately when it comes in and creating that gap? Like, actually I can move this thought over here. I can look at it and examine it and see if I want to to change my thinking in the future. How do you help people do that? So I do kind of much like you're doing of maybe like taking notes as I'm talking, like about <laughs> you can see my questions. pen like yeah. waving. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do the same thing. I make some mental notes and, and at this point I tend to not write, um, a lot because I'll, I can't focus long enough. I'll like end up writing too much. And then I'm like, wait a second. I forget what you said. Um, but I will kind of make mental notes of things that they said, and I will start to question them. You know, mm. so I will start that conversation of, you know, you said this, what did you mean by that? Um, and then, you know, as they continue to work with me, what I find is, um, right now I have, I have, a um, a client who anytime, uh, we we've talked about the, the way in which she responds to things. Um, I'm trying to be vague to, con- to maintain confidentiality. Um, the way she responds to things, um, she's recognizing it now. And so like before I can even answer and she's like, I know, I know, I know I'm doing it again. Like she's <laughs> starting to separate and notice that. Um, yeah. And it's actually really annoying at first because you start to realize how much bombardment that like inner critic or inner monster or inner mean girl is what some, like I have some people name their inner mean girl. Um, and, and like, oh, that's Becky talking or, oh, that's, you know, um, and starting to separate, like actually cognitively separate that can be, those are two different parts of me. This is a learned behavior. The inner critic is a learned behavior. No babies come out of the womb. Like, Oh, my knee's too fat or, Oh, my squishy belly. Like everyone, you know, like yeah, no baby, like infant toddler. If you talk to a toddler, they are like hot shit. Toddlers think everything is wonderful about them and that's beautiful. And then we start to have it conditioned out. So really starting to notice that's not an inherent thing. We were taught that. Mm-hmm. I love that. So I, I'm thinking like for our listeners or people who are um, like, individually, we can offer that kindness to ourselves. So like what you said, like if someone, if one of your close friends or your counselor or whomever is asking that question, like I, I think with one of my, someone who's um, close to me just this morning, right. He had said something negative about himself 
you know, yesterday. And I actually, this morning went back and called him out. Cause I was like, that's not my experience of you. Like you said this and that's not how, and then he's like, oh yeah, you're right. And like, we could do that for ourselves too. Right. Like if we're th- whatever you're thinking, it's like, oh, would your bestie say that that's who you are? Like if your answer is no, or the people that love you, then, you know, then you should question the, the, those ways of thinking. So that was like a really round the way, way of saying that, but I was just trying to think of like something someone could do immediately if they didn't have like that counselor or someone like you. Mm -hmm. And it's very much aligned with um, an expert. And uh, I will say the queen of self-compassion. Her name is Dr. Kristen Neff. Um, She talks a lot about like, how would you speak to a friend? Mm. And if you wouldn't call your friend, a stupid dumbass for doing, you know, for tripping over a line in your backyard. Um, why would you, why would you say that to yourself? Right. Because, well, because everybody else deserves grace, but I don't. Yeah. But when we think of like the collective, you are a part of the people too. You are a part of the collective too. Let's talk about social media actually a little bit. I love that you brought up TikTok. Um, I loved, I totally love TikTok <laughs> and like you put yourself out there quite a lot on social media, like, and trying to be more authentic, like we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Do you think like, is a lot of people fit in two categories, like social media is either all good or all terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you see as the good and bad aspects of social media? Yeah. So I know social media and particularly like teenagers. And and there's a lot of people now pushing out against and making sure everyone knows. And as apps are getting more accessible, um, that nothing on social media is necessarily real. There could be lots of editing. There could be lots of Photoshop. Um, Even videos can be Photoshopped, um, which is something I recently learned. There was a video that went out about one of the Kardashian sisters And they were like, no, video can be Photoshop too. I saw someone do it. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But I'm not technologically like, you know, savvy. So I wouldn't even think of that. But I think social media is um, harmful in that um, it is everyone's highlight reel. Um, You know, and then very often when people post their negatives, it's usually a like, proclamation of this is very different than what I usually post. Look how sad I am here Mm -hmm. or this horrible thing happened, but I wanted everybody to know about it. Um, And that's fine, but it's still like a curated decision. I'm choosing what I'm posting, right? There's not someone following us around deciding to like cut like different parts of our day. Um, I've talked to a lot of people and I'm like, my life is boring. Like, what do I post on social media? You know, as I'm trying to ramp up what I'm posting and becoming more visible, mm-hmm. like I make coffee and I like hang out with my cats and, and some people in my life are like, that's what you post. Like, put that out there. Like, mm-hmm. Okay. That seems boring to me. <laughs> um, but we have become accustomed as a society with different, you know, um, all these TV shows of kind of real uh, real life people's, you know, um, reality TV that we are getting used to watching people's everyday lives, um, and waiting for the next thing to happen. Um, so, you know, it's interesting because people will say like, Hey, are you okay? You haven't posted in a few days. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm fine. Um, so, you know, people get used to seeing like, usually post your picture of your cat every morning and you haven't, is your cat. Okay. 
Um, so it almost becomes this opening up your life mm-hmm. to other people, like in your routine to other people, which can seem really vulnerable and, and pretty scary, especially if you have like a, a bigger following. Um, and some of the things that I have battled with of social media, I've gone through times where I've deactivated my social media accounts and, um, cause I will find myself scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And I'm like, I don't even know who these people are. Like, why am I still watching this? Um, so I'll deactivate for a while and come back and, and it always feels nice to be off of it. Um, and one of the things that has kept me on and engaged has very much been, I feel it. <laughs> in my core responsibility to counteract some of the atrociousness of what I would consider bad social media. Um, so some of the, you know, blatant diet lies and the, you know, different types of things that feel really toxic and, and could be harmful. Um, and so if there's enough of us who are utilizing social media to promote a perspective of like self-love and wellness and authenticity, um, then at least they have the opportunity to see that too, right. as long as well as the other stuff. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I had a couple thoughts there with the highlight reel thing, you know, I'm part of me is like, you hear that a lot, right? Yeah. A part of me is like one, like my Instagram's a bit of a highlight reel. Like I'm authentic in the way I'm posting those highlights, but I'm like, but that's just because I have a boundary which is like, if I'm at home and I'm stressed about something or I'm angry, I'm upset, like I want to take care of myself, either by myself or with the people closest to me. Like, I don't want to deal with that on social media. Like, yeah. and I think I kind of have a right to that, you right. know? Um, so I feel like as long as I'm being authentic in my highlight reel, mm-hmm. then, then that's okay. And also I'm not sure I want to scroll other people's problems. right? No. I mean, a lot of the times we hear like people will be like, Hey, maybe you should see a therapist about that. Or, Hey, maybe you should talk to your grandma about that really awful thing that happened. Um, and so I think like the highlight real idea too, is, is also like just having the awareness and insight that everyone's posting their highlight reel because, because some people don't, (laughs) <laughs> true. True. And no. a lot of people, like, it depends on how you, it's how you post the highlight reel. I think that really matters. Like a lot of people are like, I love their highlight reel, you know, <laughs> especially, especially if they're posting, you know, like you talked about, um, photoshopping things and stuff. Like, I don't want to see someone who made their waist smaller or their boobs bigger right. or whatever the hell right. like, but I don't have those people on my feed. Right. Exactly. Right? Like generally yeah. I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. like people who I genuinely like and admire and I follow them. I, I love their highlight reel. So I always wonder like whether that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, yeah. And that's, I don't, I, I don't necessarily think it is because that's kind of what social media is. Like we're giving, and I was very much on social media when I lived nine, 10 hours away from family and friends when I was still in North Carolina, because like, Hey, this is what's going on in my life now. Like see you at Christmas, you know? Um, and so it was very much an update, um, and that highlight reel where it comes in, I said like perfectionism would become weaved in a little bit is when people see the highlight reel, it's very hard to acknowledge that they might be really struggling behind the scenes, or they might be also having bad days. This happens a lot with moms. I find in like my conversations, um, so-and-so is the perfect mom. Her kids love her. They're always going to the zoo and they're going to this and, my kid is on the iPad three hours a day and I feel so guilty because I don't have the 
I'm like, how do you know that their kid's not on that? They're not going to post their kids on the iPad. They're going to get scrutinized by everyone else. Yeah. 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 You don't post that picture, right? Right. Here's how my kid spent the last three hours on (laughs) the sofa with iPad. (laughs) Nobody does that. Um, the, The thing I used to find funny is like when I coached athletes, like when I was a professional triathlete and I coached amateur athletes and, and I always, there was a definitely a connection between posting on social media and and their training sometimes, like the people who actually trained the hardest or trained twice a day were really into it. Actually, we're kind of too tired to post on social media. And when people were like posting these amazing sessions they did, right? often like that was their only amazing session that week, or they were training a little bit less and actually putting more energy into the social media thing, which is totally fine. But don't take that person's thing as successful, like just because they had this amazing session. Like, you don't know, they could have had three days off leading up to it and been totally like rested and ready (laughs) for this amazing session they had. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so speaking of, um, highlight reels and social media, I did notice that you started doing some boudoir photos on yours. You know, I'm, I'm, um, well, very, very soon to be divorced, but I've been separated for five years and, um, went through kind of my, I guess, like separation divorce process with a couple of mm-hmm. really good friends. And I, not that this is you, but like, we definitely went through that process together of like figuring our, our own sexuality again, mm-hmm. like post marriage. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. so what is that, like the boudoir photos, like what is the impetus for that from your point of view and what is it that you like about putting that out into the world? Yeah. So I think that body image is something that is so pervasive or negative body image is so pervasive for so many women, men included as well, primarily, um, predominantly women and, um, and, you know, boudoir photography, the only thing I knew about boudoir about a year ago, um, was that this is what people do for their husbands before their wedding. Mm. That was my, that was my, (laughs) it's like, this is what people do when this happens. Um, so boudoir photography and sessions came about in this time of like this, like fuck it awakening, if Mm -hmm. you will. Um, I might not ever get married. I don't know. And that's okay. I'm learning to be okay with that, but I'm also not going to wait to do all of these other fun things. Uh, if, that's what I have to wait on. Like I have to like show it to a partner or whatever it may be. And so, um, you know, the initial reason for doing it, um, was it was called like a mini session. It popped up on my Instagram ads and I was like, uh, how much is this? Okay. I'm going to do it. And then I asked all the details, where do you, where are you located? <laughs> End up driving like an hour. Um, and through that decision, I realized that like, I, it was in the middle of the pandemic again. So I'm wearing sweats, big baggy college, 15 year old sweats, like every day below my camera. So I'm doing all my work virtually. Um, and a top. And I was like, you know what? I don't remember the last time I bought myself a new bra. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the last time. And so I went to a store locally and, um, the owner was also a boudoir photographer. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and the way she talked, I was like, well, you know, I don't really have, I have this like shoot that I have coming. And so everything was on sale. So she was trying to sell me everything. <laughs> and I'm like, good store owner. Great job. Um, but I was like, I won't have any place to wear it. And she goes, wear it under your sweats. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? That was kind of like a turning point for me. I'm like that me saying, I don't have anywhere to wear it to is for someone else or for an event or for, and wearing it under your clothes is like, I've got something sexy on, <laughs> like it can just like boost confidence. And so we had this conversation, super powerful. I do the first photo shoot, um, immediately fell in love. Mm-hmm. I have been the awkward tomboy since before I can remember. That was kind mm-hmm. of my my MO, if you will. That was what I was known for growing up. I was those baggy sweatpants was like day to day. Um, my mom is a hairstylist and I would wear my hair in a pony, messy ponytail every day. And she's like, can you please do your hair? I just cut it. <laughs> like, Nope. Um, because I didn't have time. I was going from practice to practice. I, I was a, a tomboy. I didn't, my favorite color was dark blue. And that was some of this like awakening stuff. Like my favorite color is pink. I like sparkles and rainbows and, um, I like girly things. I like when I feel sexy, I like, um, you know, showing off my cleavage every so often, like that feels good. And so I started doing boudoir. I've done it a few times now. I've connected with these amazing women. Um, boudoir photographers are the biggest like hoorah cheerleaders and like most motivational, they're body positive. They (laughs) are like, anybody can do this. Um, and then they handhold you through it. I was very nervous and, you know, and some of it doesn't even feel sexy. Like the poses are like so painful because you're like arching so hard or like, and, and so it can be fun. It can be funny. You're like spending time with another girl who's like, we're going to make these look really good. Mm. So you start to have this belief. And I was speaking with one of the photographers afterwards and, and she said, you know, people come in here like sweating, so nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and she was like, you didn't do that at all. Like, are you not nervous? And I was like, at this point, no, like I, I have full trust in you as a photographer that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And she was like, Oh, um, but I think that there's so much about these events that like, like boudoir, um, that people feel like you have to wait for something. Um, you have to wait for a marriage for a bachelorette party for maybe even a divorce. Like you're like, um, and, and sexuality in and of itself, that like feminine energy of, of like boudoir photography has been, probably the most powerful thing. And that's what a lot of like my work that I'm shifting into is like creating the goddess within you, this woman who doesn't give a shit about what everybody else thinks, this woman who feels powerful and strong and beautiful um, because she does not because someone else needs to tell her, not because um, you know, her husband tells her every day um, but because you are your, like you get to be your biggest cheerleader. So um, yeah, that sounds incredibly empowering. Yeah. 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 And then d- to circle back to where we started, you know, did you, um, 
I, I I'm imagining you now the first time you put one of these photos out into the world, like, and were you, were you sweating, <laughs> like nervous? Like, what was the response? What was the feedback that you got? Yeah. Ironically, if you scroll back a few months, I posted one and I cropped the shit out of it. You only see like my head. So it's a professional photo. It's like a head. Um, you turned it into a head. I did. I did because I was too afraid to post the rest. Oh, that's great. I, um, and so it's really funny now because I'm looking back at those photos and I'm like, dang, why didn't I post any of these? And it's like holiday themed. It's like winter themed. So I'm like, well, I can't post them now. Um, but my, so this first one that I posted and I posted different ones on Instagram and Facebook, um, separately, um, I still chose the black and white one because it was a little more shadows and didn't accentuate certain because I was still afraid. Um, and then last week I did the why is boudoir photo and like, here are my boobs and here's my butt and like, you know, here it all is. And, and I think that like, so that's just a like transition or shows like the progress of my own being okay with what I'm putting out there. Um, and knowing that it's not about, you know, a lot of the times like boudoir sexy photos is like, it's for the male gaze for male attention for like looking, um, my Instagram is like 90% women, um, and women who are like me. So it is, you know, this place of I'm doing it both for me and to let other people know about this empowering experience and opportunity too. Right. Um, shit. I, that just like, I, yeah, I'm sort of just blown away by that. It's so I had like a question, like right waiting <laughs> the only time that I didn't write it down. Like, uh, of course, um, <laughs> of course it is. Mm-hmm. Oh, it sounds like this is what it was. It sounds like, um, this has been very empowering for you personally. Do you feel differently when you're like you, when you're walking down the street in your sweats, wearing your, you know, wearing your fun undergarments or whatever, like has this whole process changed the way you feel on a day-to-day basis? I would say yes, absolutely. I think that it has reminded me that, um, like the external perspective doesn't matter. Like, and even if you're not always confident without makeup, um, I go 90% of my throwing these stats out. Maybe it's like 80. I don't know. 90 feels good. Cause I used it earlier. Um, most of the time I am barefaced. Um, and so when I go out to target without makeup and my ball cap on and, um, in my sweats, um, anytime I notice like a thought, like of, of potential judgment of oh, that person probably saw my big zit on my nose or thinks my hair looks really greasy, which it is a lot of the time too. Um, you know, what comes to mind is one of those boudoir pictures. I'm sexy as fuck. Like, wait a second, like that, this is just a part of me. And I think that that providing that like opportunity for everyone else to recognize, like, um, you know, when we talk about body image, the idea of a positive body image, really people think that like people like me who I talk about and promote body image all the time are just walking around. Like I'm so hot. My body's so great. (laughs) And that is not the case at all. Like body image, like we are bombarded with the the societal expectations too. And so you know, I know that I'm in a larger body than I have ever been, or my body has changed drastically since I was a, 
you know, collegiate athlete. And, um, and that sometimes shows up, you know, I put a certain pair of shorts on and I'm like, Oh, you know, that sucks. I should probably lose some. And then I'll stop myself and be like, go buy yourself a new pair of damn shorts. Like it's fine. Right. This idea of those intrusive thoughts that we started with. Yeah. They still show up. That insecurity still shows up, but it's how I respond to it. Right. Yeah. And as you were saying that about like someone walking around thinking, I look good. I'm amazing. Whatever. Like even just shifting that, like, oh, when do I feel good? I was thinking, oh, I feel good when I think, um, like when I actually like feel good in my own body. Mm-hmm. Right. It's so like, I mm-hmm. feel good versus I look good. You know, like I feel good. I feel my best in a couple hours after I work out. Right. I like actually plan certain things for that time too. But it's oh, like, I love I, that. Yeah. I like, it's like, I feel good. It's a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Then like, I look good or that somehow that, that like you've said many times mm-hmm. during our conversation, like the way the external world is perceiving us. Yeah. 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 And a lot of the time the external world isn't noticing you at all. No, they That's don't even right. care. Nobody cares. <laughs> they're you probably know? too worried about their own stuff. <laughs> yeah, they're exactly. like, Oh, you, you know, you had two different shoes. I didn't even notice right. or whatever. Like, it may be. Exactly. Like you might as yeah. well feel good because really nobody else cares. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Um, yeah. Okay. Cindy, this has been so fun. Um, where can we find you? Where can people follow your journey? Yeah. So I have my kind of like personal women, uh, empowerment and, and embodiment, um, is, uh, Instagram at the Cindy project, um, and the, um, sports food and mental health is just that at sports and food, sports, food, and mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those, um, have more information and, and that sort of thing in my bio, um, things coming are some courses. I've got one on boundaries coming out, um, soon that we're going to just talk about why boundaries are important and how people are people pleasers and not really doing things in their best interest. Um, and then on the athlete side, um, we've got, I'm just going to start doing some team talks, with different teams about body image and food intake and, and mental health and that sort of thing. Um, as well as a communication course that I'm so excited about, um, that's going to be how athletes can learn to communicate with their coach. Um, and, and then like having workshops where they can practice that, um, with other people, cause it's always scary to approach a coach about something that's really hard for them, whether it be mental health, needing to miss something, for something else that's important to them. Um, so lots of fun things coming. I'm, I'm very excited for the summer and, and fall. Yeah. Um, that sounds amazing. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Um, it's been so fun. Yes. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. 
prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule. How much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% Mulberry Silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. (laughs) 
As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tofosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tofosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tofosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in Feisty Media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you.